It is nice to be with you, nice to uh, spend some time looking at God's Word with you. We're going to be starting in John's Gospel. We'll be uh, jumping around a little bit, different uh, different passages, uh, each talk, different parts of the Bible, but hopefully we'll hit on a couple of key uh, key issues. It's nice to be here, but it's also, it's, it's actually nice to be here at this camp centre, because this camp centre actually plays quite a significant role in my history, in my life. So I used to come to this campsite all the time when I was at uni. So that was 25 years ago. Um, when uh, WEC was running regular camps here, right? They would run youth camps here and youth discipleship camps. And, and I was actually invited to these camps by Peggy, who's now my wife. She was studying at uni with us and invited uh, a couple of us who were Christians to come. And, and we got involved in camps here. We had a great time. You know, I'd, I'd run around on that bit of patch of grass out there, run a lot more than I can now. We used to play a game called Fresh. Has anyone ever played Fresh? Yeah. Lots of running, lots of mud. It was awesome. So much fun. Um, and so this is quite a significant place. It was also a place where lots of friendships were formed. And I think I can say that my friendship with Peggy changed into something more than that right here. But as camps run by WEC, a mission organisation, it was also a place where I think my understanding of mission got a really good foundation. It was really the beginning of my journey to think about, okay, what's my place in God's mission? And so how appropriate it is for us to be thinking about that together uh, here this weekend. As I've been doing my research uh, over the last couple of years that uh, Liam mentioned, uh, people would often come to me with a couple of questions. When they hear that I was doing research into mission, particularly what local churches do in terms of mission, some people would just ask the question, well, why? Why mission? Like, why is that the most important thing? But perhaps a more common question was, well, what do you mean by mission? What are you actually talking about? And that's a good question, because mission's a kind of tricky topic. Because there's no... If you read through the Bible, you'll almost never see the word mission, right? It's a bit like the Trinity in that sense. Like it's it's this clear biblical idea, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We see that right through the Bible, but you can't really look up the word Trinity. It's a bit like that for mission. You can't just look up a key verse and get a definition of it. But when people ask me, what do you mean by mission? I don't think they're actually asking me for some definition. I think what they're asking is, do you think what I'm doing is important. How do you understand mission? Do you think what I'm doing is important? Because most followers of Jesus are involved in mission in some way. Now, by that I mean most followers of Jesus are seeking to see people who don't know Jesus come to know him. That's really the essence of mission. It's sharing the message of Jesus with people who don't know him. But that then raises this important question. Well, well, I can do that anywhere, right? I, I can do that here in Morrisett. I can do that in Sydney. I can go anywhere. So why is global mission important? Is global mission important? Because there's so much talk about kind of overseas mission, mission out there, you know, sending missionaries. Is, is that really what's most important? Like a couple of years ago, I took a group of students from college And we went to a country in Southeast Asia, which is a pretty difficult place to live, a developing country, all sorts of security issues. But we went there to visit some missionaries who had set up a centre to teach English, to do vocational training, but ultimately to help people come to know Jesus. It was hard work. 
Working in a developing country like that, trying to set up a business, place where the electricity is unreliable, the water's unreliable, life is hard. And they were working like 12, 14 hours, six days a week, just trying to engage with the local community. Well, why go to all that effort? Why do we need to worry about distant overseas mission when there's so much that we need to do right here? Why do we have these wonderful guys here, who I'm going to try and refer to as J&M, Hopefully that won't slip out. Why do we have them spending most of their life living overseas to help people know about Jesus rather than just putting them to good work right here? Why do we need to think about global mission? Well, that's why I want to look at this passage here in John's Gospel because I think it gives us a really good foundation for mission, for thinking about what mission is and how it engages us as people who are wanting to follow Jesus. But it's not the verse that people naturally go to, is it? Now, if I was to ask all of you, where in the Bible would you hear about mission? What verse do you think people would refer to most often? Matthew 28, thank you very much, where Jesus said to his disciples after he rose from the dead, therefore go, make disciples of all nations, (laughs) baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. That's the passage most people go to, right? This is a very clear instruction from Jesus to his followers just before he ascended to heaven to say, this is what I want you to be doing, making disciples of all nations. But what some people don't realise is that this kind of final instruction of Jesus is not just at the end of Matthew's gospel. In fact, it's at the end of pretty much every gospel and also at the beginning of Acts, as you've probably seen. Jesus made very clearly to his followers I have a task for you. And we're going to be looking at John's version of that command, which is what we heard here, uh, those verses in chapter 20. Because in these verses, we see the way that every member of the Trinity is involved in mission. The Son, the Father, and the Spirit. And we're going to see the implication of that, the fact that Every member of the Trinity is intimately involved in the task of mission will help us to understand what our place, what our role in it is. So the first thing we see is that Jesus is the message of mission. Jesus is the message of mission. Let's look again at verse 19. Do keep your Bibles handy because we'll be referring to them. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. This happened on Sunday evening. On Friday, Jesus had been crucified. The disciples had seen him hanging on a cross. They'd seen him die. They'd seen him buried in a tomb. Jesus was dead. (laughs) They'd spent Saturday mourning the fact that their Lord, the the one that they'd been following, had died. But then on Sunday morning when uh, Peter and and John went to the tomb, it was empty. And then when Mary was there, she she says she she saw Jesus. She saw Jesus in in the garden and she came. But the disciples obviously weren't convinced because they were hiding away. They were hiding away behind locked doors because they were afraid. And fair enough too. I mean, they'd just seen the guy, their master that they'd been following, put to death. 
But then before they knew it, Jesus was there, standing amongst them. It doesn't say how he appeared. It doesn't seem like he just floated through the door. It's just like he was just there. But it wasn't just a vision. He was real. He, he was alive. It was, it was proof that it was him because he showed them his hands and his side, the places where they'd seen the nails and the, and the spear going. This was their Lord alive. And he had one message for them. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. The disciples were overjoyed because they knew that Jesus coming back to life meant there was hope for peace. Our world is so in need of peace, isn't it? There's destruction, there's pain, there's chaos everywhere. We've seen peace unravel completely in Eastern Europe at the moment. And this lack of peace is hand in hand with the reality of death. But Jesus' resurrection shows that he has defeated death. He has defeated death, this reality which all of humanity sort of lives in fear of. Jesus has defeated. You know, when I worked as a physiotherapist, I used to work for many years in oncology, cancer care. I was the physio for the Cancer Care Centre in Penrith. And I used to also work in palliative care, so people who are at the end of their life, people who are dying. And it's an interesting place to work in palliative care. I mean, you're constantly seeing people pass away. You're seeing how people end their lives. And there are all sorts of different people that work in palliative care, and some of them are, are always trying to tell you that, that, you know, death is just natural. Death, death is just a natural part of life. It's, it's just a transition to the next phase. But I think we all know that death is not natural. Death is completely unnatural. Death is not the way God created this world to be. God is the source of life. God wants us, who he has created, to have life. But because we've turned our back on the source of life, what we experience is death. But Jesus has defeated death. And so he comes to bring peace. You see, we constantly live in fear of death. The world lives in fear of death, but Jesus offers life. Some of you might know the comedian Russell Brand. He's sort of funny and sort of philosophical. He, he makes this comedy. He says, laughter is addictive because of the inevitability of death. It gives us a temporary escape. For the moment, it stops the fear of the inevitability of death. I think he's right that most people actually do have a fear of death, that they may be unwilling to acknowledge. But that's why Jesus is the message of mission, because he brings this life, he brings this peace, he brings this freedom from death. And in fact, that's why the whole Gospel of John is written. If you look further on, just in chapter 20, in verse 31, uh, John says, these things, are the whole Gospel, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus is the message of life. 
In chapter 10, he says, I have come that they may have life, life to the full. And that's the constant message of John's gospel. In chapter 6, he talks about himself as the living bread. In chapter 7, he talks about uh, those who trust in him will have living water. In chapter 8, he's the light of the world. In chapter 11, he's the resurrection and the life. In chapter 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And it transforms life for all of us who trust in Jesus. I have a a dear friend, I had a dear friend named Richard Hibbert. He was the... He was my boss at college. Some of you know him. Uh, he was a wonderful man and he, uh, he got cancer a number of years back. He'd been a missionary in Turkey and Bulgaria and he worked with WEC for many years and, uh, and then he was working at college sort of training people to be missionaries. Richard's battle with cancer went for many, many years. It was quite drawn out, all sorts of treatment. But the staggering thing about Richard was that even as he was staring death in the face, he never lost his joy. He was always so thankful to Jesus for the privilege of knowing him and of being able to live for him. And he talked about death as being an adventure because he knew that the other side of death, he would meet Jesus, the one who's conquered death. See, Jesus is the message of mission because we have a message that the whole world needs to hear, a message that they don't have. I mean, the world is full of religions, but none of them provide that freedom from fear of death. In fact, many of them just enhance the fear of death. Jesus is the message of mission. He gives hope where hope is not. Other religions Offer hope, but it's transient. Like this guy. So you might have never seen this guy before. His name is Sai Baba. He was a spiritual leader in India. He was born in 1940 and he amassed this huge following. People believed that he was an incarnation of God. They believed that what he said was like uh, miraculous, that he supposedly did these miracles. You know, millions of people followed Sai Baba. He said that he would die when he was 96 or that he would sort of transition into eternity. But when he was 71, on Easter Sunday, 2011, he died. A friend of mine at that time was a missionary in India doing Bible translation. She posted on Facebook, Sai Baba is dead. If he's alive again in three days, I'll consider following him. See, the fact is that the world is full of different religious systems, but no one has a message of hope and life like we have. Jesus is the message that the world needs to hear, that all people need to hear. He's the message of mission. And so that lifts our eyes to the world as followers of Jesus. We have this message that people everywhere need. But we also see this central role of God the Father. See, as well as Jesus being the message, God the Father is the source of mission. Look at verse 21. After Jesus had showed them his hands and his side, he said to them, again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. 
Now, this short verse really speaks to who we are as followers of Jesus and what our purpose on earth is. Because Jesus is here telling us something fundamentally true about God the Father. He's telling us that God is a sending God. The Father sent the Son. Now, what does sending have to do with mission? Well, sending is actually where we get the word mission from. So the word mission is actually from a Latin word, miso, which means to send. The fact that we talk about mission is really just we're saying it's this sending task that God has. God has sent the Son, and as followers of Jesus, he sends us. What does it mean to be sent by God? Well, we understand that by seeing what it means for Jesus to be sent. So Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. So if we are sent by Jesus, then that means our will, our purpose is to do his will, to finish his work, the task that he's given us. And what is that? He explains it a bit more in chapter 6 of John. I have come down from heaven not to do my will but the will of him who sent me. For my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus is saying we are all sent out by him. What does that mean? That means we are to continue the task of leading people to look to Jesus. God is a sending God. And as he sent Jesus, Jesus sends us. This is key for us to think about what is our purpose? What is your purpose? What are you living for? What are you doing with all the things that God has given you? How are you seeking to follow Jesus? Well, in part, it needs to recognise that it is to live as someone who is sent by Jesus, sent to the world to lead people to follow him. You see, this really taps into a purpose that God has been fulfilling through the whole of the Bible. Just as Liam talked about before, you know, we see through the whole of the Old Testament God's desire to see people from all nations in relationship with him. That begins, or we see it most clearly, I guess, at the start, in Genesis chapter 12, right, where God sends Abraham. That's where God's sending begun. Do you remember God came to Abraham and he says, go, go to the the nation I will lead you. Go to the place I'll lead you. He didn't really tell him where I was, but he did tell him why. He said, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you will curse. And why? So that all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. See, that has always been God's plan. He sent Abraham, but ultimately he sent his son so that all peoples on earth will be blessed through him. And Jesus is telling us in this verse that we are to join in that. We are to join in what God is doing. It makes me think of when my kids were little. For any of you who have had kids, you'll know they make a lot of mess. They sprinkle stuff around the house, right? And my son used to love getting our little bucket of wood blocks and tip them out and spread them out all over the lounge room floor. I'm sure you can 
picture that. And then, you know, at the end of the day, you'd have to kind of collect the, the blocks and put them back in the bucket. And I, I remember distinctly getting down with the bucket and grabbing the blocks and putting them in the bucket. And when he was, you know, two, he doesn't do it so much now, but when he was two, he used to love to help. He'd come and join in, you know, he'd squat down and he'd pick up the blocks, put them in the bucket. It's because he wanted to join in what Dad was doing. In many ways, that's what God's saying to us. That's what Jesus is saying to us is join in what God is doing. Join in God's purpose to, to send this message of mission to the ends of the earth so that people from all nations might be blessed. That's God's purpose. And so by extension, it becomes our purpose. As followers of Jesus, being involved in mission is not an optional extra. It's part of who we are. And it's as part of that, it's, it's not just being involved in mission where we are, but it's recognising this message needs to go to all people everywhere. Now, it does involve what you're doing right here. Your efforts to share this message of life with people in Morissette, with people at your workplace, with, you know, people that you meet at the school gate or down the shops or in the cafe, like that's part, you are part of God's mission. You are going as sent people. God sent people. But it also means lifting our eyes to the world and seeing the needs, the opportunities, and thinking, how can I be involved in that too? What has God given me that I can use for God's global purposes? So for J&M, it means going, living in Kyrgyzstan taking their family and trying to share the message of Jesus with people who otherwise just will not hear it. For Liam and Lucy, it meant coming here, starting a new church here so that people might hear the message of Jesus. What does it mean for you? How can you be involved in God's work around the world? What skills do you have that you can bring? What capacity do you have? What opportunities do you have? What has God given you a passion for that you can use for his global purposes? I have this friend named John. John uh, used to work in IT doing app design and all that sort of stuff. I guess he still sort of does, but he's kind of changed a little bit. He started this company, this organisation called Gracious Tech, and he uses his IT skills to develop apps and resources that will help people do mission. The one that he's, that's most popular is called Stello. It's basically a platform um, that uh, missionaries can use to send updates to their supporters, but that are completely secure. And they can send videos and they can have interactive updates. It's a great platform and he makes it available to missionaries for free. He is using the gifts God has given him to serve God's global purposes. I know photographers who travel around the world making photos and, and videos for missionaries. There are people using all sorts of different gifts and skills God has given them, laying them at God's feet and saying, how can I use these for your global purposes? What's that going to look like for you? It means living as God's sent people here, where you are in your day-to-day -day life. But it also means lifting your eyes and thinking, what role, what place can I play 
in God's global purposes. So mission is fundamental to who God is. Jesus is the message of mission. The Father is the source of mission. And in these next couple of verses, we see that the Spirit is the power for mission. In verse 21, sorry, verse 22. And with that, Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. See, this is Jesus demonstrating that while he gives us this task, while he sends us out to the world, he doesn't send us alone. He gives us his spirit who empowers us for the task, who gives us what we need to be able to fulfill God's mission. Because living as God's sent people, serving in God's world is not easy. Right? There are, there are challenges at every turn. I mean, you may not be facing the kind of challenges that my friends faced in Southeast Asia and trying to set up a business in a developing nation. You might not face some of the challenges that J&M face in their part of the world. But when you're going to share with people at the school gate, when you're going to try and engage with people about Jesus, some people aren't going to want to hear it. But God gives us his spirit who gives us confidence, confidence to be able to serve his purposes. He gives us boldness, gives us comfort. He guides us. God's spirit is at work in us. I don't know if you watch much reality TV. Um, My kids at the moment have enjoyed watching Lego Masters. I quite like a bit of Lego Masters. But um, a while before that, they used to love watching The Voice. Anybody watch The Voice? Anybody? I mean, I liked the singing, but you know what really got on my nerves was the whole story that people would tell because it was just nonsense. And the thing that you constantly hear is, you know, if I just if I just look deep inside myself, then I know I'll achieve my dreams. You know, if I just look inside myself, then I can be the next Taylor Swift. No, you can't. But... <laughs> Largely because looking inside yourself is, is, is not going to find anything that's going to help you in this world. But God gives us his spirit who lives in us, who dwells in us, who empowers us, who guides us, who helps us to see opportunities and to be involved in God's sending purposes. But with that power comes incredible responsibility. Look at verse 23 again. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. That sounds a bit full on, doesn't it? Is Jesus saying that whether somebody is forgiven or not depends on you? Is he saying that it's up to me to decide who is forgiven and who isn't? I mean, on one level, that doesn't quite make sense, does it? Because we know that Jesus is the only one who can forgive sins. I mean, that's the constant message of John's gospel. In chapter 1, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In chapter 3, that famous mission, that (laughs) famous verse, sorry, where God so loved the world he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him, should not perish but have eternal life. 
Chapter 8, if you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be, Jesus said, you will die in your sins. See, the message of John's gospel is very clear. If you want forgiveness from sins, you need to go to Jesus. So why is Jesus saying, if you uh, forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven, but if you don't, they're not forgiven? Well, I think it's because what Jesus is actually saying here is, yes, people need Jesus to be saved, but if we don't tell them about him, then they can't. We have the message of life. We have the message of mission. And if we don't take that message of mission to people, then they can't experience forgiveness. I mean, it's staggering, right? But it's like Jesus is giving us the responsibility for helping the world know how they might be saved. It would be a little bit like if they changed the number for triple O, right? Imagine they changed the number for triple O and then came here and said, all right, you guys, there's this new number, 64831. It's your job to tell everybody. It's your job to help everybody know what the new number for triple O is. And if they don't get the new number, then they can't get help with me. That's a silly analogy, but you get the idea. Jesus is saying, you have the message of life. You, therefore, have the responsibility to take it out. Now, why does God do it that way? Why doesn't he just send seven billion angels to every person on the face of the earth? Why doesn't he just give everybody a dream that leads them to salvation? I don't know. But he doesn't. He says... I've given you my spirit, and I give you this task. Take the message of forgiveness to the ends of the earth. So how are we going? How are we going with that task? Well, let me give you a little bit of a summary of the state of the world, the state of Christianity around the world, to help us understand what some of the needs and some of the things we can celebrate are. Now, as you probably know, God has done incredible things over the last century in leading lots of people in South America, in Africa, in Asia to become Christian. And it wasn't like that before. Back in 1900, so if we went back in 120 years, 92% of all of the Bible-believing Christians, all of the evangelicals in the world, 92% of them lived in Europe and America. But now... 77% of them live in what we call the global south, in Africa, in South America, in Asia. That's where the vast majority of people who are trusting in Jesus for their salvation live in this world. That is a radically different picture to what it used to be. Now, this is something to celebrate, right? This is evidence that God's mission has been going forth, that people from every nation and tribe and tongue have are hearing about Jesus. But sometimes I think we can hear this truth and think the job's done. But it's not, right? Here's another graph. I'll explain why the baby's there in a minute. But basically, back in 1800, 75% of the world's population hadn't heard the message of Jesus in 1800. By 1900, There was still about a half of the world's population hadn't heard the message of Jesus. Now, 
The word has spread in wonderful ways so that by the year 2000, less than 30% of the world's population hadn't heard, but it's kind of plateaued. And why is it plateaued? It's plateaued because people are having lots of babies, especially in countries where there are very, very few churches. See, the fact is that there are still nearly a third of the world's population who can't hear the message of Jesus. Let me show it like this. 7.9 billion people in the world, 2.5 billion of them are Christian, 2.9 billion of them are, um, have heard the message of Jesus, but they're not Christians, they're not believing. And then about 2.1, these numbers are funny, I thought I fixed this. Anyway, about 2.1, 2.2% of the world's population have just never heard. More than 2 billion people in this world just can't hear the message about Jesus. And if what Jesus is telling us is true, that means they can't be forgiven. So this is the place where we need to be sending missionaries, right? This is the place where we need to be sending people out. And thankfully, some are going. But what proportion do you think of all the missionaries in the world are working in amongst, this red, amongst these red people? Half? A third? A quarter? It's actually about 3% of all the missionaries in the world are working amongst those 2.2 billion people who just can't hear the message of Jesus. Now, there are about 430,000 missionaries in the world, so that's about 13,000. 13,000 in 2.2 billion is about one for every 175,000 people. That's staggering, isn't it? I mean, you think about how many people there are that can share the message faithfully here in Morrisset. Everyone in this room, one for every 175,000. Or to show it a slightly different way, this is where all the non-Christians live in the world, right? The size of the bubble represents the kind of number of people, roughly. Now, this is where all the missionaries are serving. Now, if you'll excuse my terrible picture editing, if you overlay those, you sort of see an imbalance, right? I think it's important for us to understand that God has this global purpose, and as his people, he has given it to us. We are his sent people. And that means we are sent to our local community. We are sent to our nation, so we should be seeking to see churches planted all around Australia. But the needs in many parts of the world are so far beyond that. We need to multiply J&M by 100,000. We need to be sending people out to where the good news of Jesus isn't known. So how can you live as a sent one? How can you let your identity as one of the people sent by God to this world with a message of life that is so needed, how can that shape your life? How can that impact the way you do things day by day? As I said earlier, 
when I used to come to Camp Spear, my friendship with Peggy flourished into something more than We've now been married for 23 years. And I love her. And I want to encourage her and I want to help her love Jesus more and serve Jesus more. And why do I do that? Do I do that because somebody said, you have to do this? No, I do that because that's who I am. I'm her husband. I'm living out my identity. See, if we're a follower of Jesus, then we are a sent one. We are sent to this world. We have the message of mission sent by the source of mission and empowered for mission by the Holy Spirit. What's that going to look like for you as individuals, as a church? How can we be making more impact on the world serving God's global purposes? Well, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have given us life through Jesus, that you've given us hope and peace and freedom from the fear of death. Lord, we recognise that this is not just a message for us, that this is a message for the world, that your heart is for all nations and that that means we have an incredible task. Lord, we thank you that you don't leave us alone. But please give us wisdom by your spirit. Give us strength to do what you call us to. Help us to know. Help us to see the opportunities of joining you in your work, of extending this message of life to people from every nation, every tribe, every language, that they too might join us in glorifying you. Pray in Jesus' name.